Genesis chapter 4 is where we will be looking uh, in God's Word this morning. I pray that you brought a copy of God's Word with you. If you didn't, we have it on the screens for you, but I do want to encourage you to always bring your sword with you, bring the Word of God with you when you come to study it. Genesis chapter 4, we are continuing the series that we've been in, uh, in, the, in the book of Genesis, as we've been seeing uh, the things since the origin of time, as God created all the things that have been created. We saw that, we saw God resting from his work, we saw the commands that he gave, the loving way he created Adam and Eve, we saw uh, their sin as they ate of the fruit that they were not supposed to eat, we saw the condemnation that came with that, not only for them, but for all of creation. And so today we're going to look for the first time to see what life looks like outside of the garden. Outside of the garden of Eden, what did life look like? I think you will find some similarities uh, to what life looked like outside of the garden then to what life looks like outside of the garden today. But today as we look at the story, the account of Cain and Abel, if you would look with me in God's word as we see some warnings beginning in verse 1 of Genesis 4. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So what do we see here as we're looking in this background? Uh, Adam and Eve, they're expelled from the garden. They're outside of the garden. We don't know exactly how much time uh, has lapsed since when they left the garden to when this takes place. Uh, there, there are a few things that would give us hints about that, but it's for another time. But what we do see is... They have two sons that are talked about. They're described here in the story, Cain and Abel. And we're told some things about them. We're told that Cain was a worker of the ground, or uh, more specifically, a tiller is what that would be. Uh, he was a farmer like his dad. Adam had been a farmer. Adam was one that took care of the work of the ground. And like his dad, Cain is also a worker of the ground, uh, a farmer. And then we have his brother, Abel, who we're told is a keeper of sheep, or what we would just usually call a shepherd, um, like his father, not Adam, his heavenly father. He is a shepherd. He's a keeper of sheep. So we see the two, the two boys here. We're not told a lot other than that. We're told what their names are. We're told what they do. But then we see, as we get into where the story really starts to develop for today's purposes, that each one of them brought an offering to God, and each one of them brought an offering that was specific to the work that they did. We see that Cain brought some of the, the fruit of the ground. He brought some of the uh, things that had come, some of the things that he had grown, some of the crops that he had. He brought that and gave it to God as an offering. And we also see that Abel brought of the firstborn of the flock, or a lamb. So uh, Abel, who is a shepherd, brings a lamb to give as an offering to God. Cain, who is a farmer, brings some of the fruit of the ground uh, to give to God. And all of that seems fairly normal things that we would expect to see in Old Testament teachings. But then we see something 
in this text uh, that I think is a little bit odd to us if you've never seen this account, if you've never read this account. In verse 4, in the second sentence, when it says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. And then it continues and says, But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so what does it mean there, he had regard or he had no regard? Specifically, it's saying uh, that God was accepting of it, that he accepted it, that he was pleased with the offering. So Abel's offering, the, the lamb that's brought, the firstborn of the flock, uh, God is pleased with Abel. He is pleased with this offering. He has regard for them. He accepts it. But then for Cain and for the offering that Cain brings, it tells us that God, this offering that's brought and given to him, that he didn't have regard for Cain's offering. That he was not pleased, that he did not accept Cain's offering. And that seems a little bit odd to us. Uh, just as you read that, you think Cain brought this. He's grown these crops. He brings these crops. He offers them to the Lord as a sacrifice. And God doesn't accept them. And sometimes we can really, really get stuck right there. We can really get stuck in, in wanting now to see Cain as, as a victim of something that, that shouldn't have happened with God not accepting his offering. Or sometimes we can really just get lost in trying to ask this question of why. Why did God accept Abel's offering and why did God not accept Cain's offering? And if you're curious about that, then come back Wednesday. That's what we're going to look at Wednesday. We see later in the scriptures uh, a specific teaching about that, of why that is. We're going to look at that Wednesday night. If you can't be here Wednesday, uh, catch it on the podcast or ask the office for a copy of the CD from Wednesday night's teaching. But it's not what we're looking at this morning. We're not go I'm not going to try and take time this morning to explain why it is that God had regard for Abel's offering and didn't have regard for Cain's offering. It's the, not the point of this text, or if it were the point of this text, God would have made it clear and told us why in Genesis chapter 4 that took place. But all we see is the account. We see that that happened. They both bring an offering. Abel's is accepted, pleasing to God. Uh, Cain's is not accepted, is not pleasing to God. And so then what we really see in this text is the fallout from this. The chain reaction that happens whenever something went wrong in Cain's life, when things didn't go as according to Cain's plan, we see what happens and we see a lot about that in the rest of this text. Look with me continuing in verse 6. It says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And in these two verses, we see a large portion of today's teaching. What we see here is really a carryover from the message from a few weeks ago before homecoming from Genesis 3 as we saw Satan, the great deceiver, coming and, and tricking or deceiving Adam and Eve into eating the fruit that they shouldn't have. And we looked at how he tries to do the same with us and how he tempts us and tries to get us to do things that are wrong. And, and his work, Satan and his work, is to simply try to get people to go against the commands and the authority of God. And here we see once again a good bit about the nature of sin. In these two verses, God speaking to Cain says a good bit about the nature of sin. Specifically in verse 7, 
if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. We see here a reminder that sin is never far away. That sin is always crouching at the door. That sin is always close by. And not only is it always close by, but its desire is for us. Or some of your translations there say against us. Its desire is against you. Satan and those that work with him, the demons that work with him, that tempt and try to get people to sin, the temptations of sin are against us. They are to take us and to cause us to go against the commands of Almighty God. And here I think we see even more specific. We see this reminder, and I think we all know that. We all know that sin is close by. Sometimes we forget it and sometimes we overlook it. But sin is always close by. Temptation is always close by. We're always, every one of us, one step away from making a terrible decision. We are all, all of us, just that close to doing something that we shouldn't. And we always have to be on guard. We always have to be prepared with the tools that God has given us to stay away from sin. But I think when you put verses 6 and 7 together here, we see something that's even more specific. Because in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? And then he goes into the teaching of if you do well, you'll be accepted. And if you do not, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you, its, its desire is against you. And in this we see the reminder that there are times in life when we are more vulnerable to sin than other times. Let me ask you a question. Are, are there any of you here this morning that, have, that ever deal with this? You go to work and you have a plan of this is how things are going to be at work today and this is what's going to take place and you get there and those plans are just wrecked. And you end up having to do this instead of that. Or your computer's not working so you can't do this. Or on the way you had a flat tire and you can't even get to work to do that. And you become angry or upset or unhappy. Are there any of you here this morning that that ever happens to? Okay, good. It's not just me and Cain. This has happened to Cain. This has happened to me. Things happen that make us angry. People say things that make us angry. Circumstances in life make us angry. But not only angry, but here we see that, that Cain was not only angry, but it said in verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And then God, again speaking to him, says, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? And in that we see a reflection that not only was he angry about this, but he was also saddened or depressed that this thing that he expected to happen, that he expected to bring an offering and for God to receive this offering and to be pleased with this offering, not only did it make him mad when it didn't happen, but it made him sad. And so I'll ask you the same question. Are there any of you that are ever made sad or depressed by circumstances in life? Again, something that you think is going to happen and it falls through and doesn't happen. And it just makes you so upset and sad. There are things, there are people that we love and things happen to those people. And when we hear about it, it makes us sometimes angry and sometimes it makes us sad or depressed. And so we see Cain here 
God speaks to him, he refers to, he gives reference to the fact that Cain is angry and that Cain is sad. And I believe that the reason that verses 6 and 7 are put together in that way is that God is saying to Cain that in this moment, sin's always crouching at the door. You're always vulnerable to sin. But in this moment, Cain, you need to be even more particular to make sure that you do the right thing because you are in a very vulnerable place when you are sad when you are angry when you are depressed you are in a place that makes you even more susceptible to the lies that satan brings to us and point one this morning is this we are vulnerable to sin we are vulnerable to sin and that's always all the time we are vulnerable to sin but also specifically we see here there are times in life when we are more vulnerable than other times When we are angry, when we are sad, when we are upset, I think that we are even more likely when our mind is not straight, when we are not thinking correctly because we're clouded by these emotions, as Cain was here, we're even more susceptible. And you just have to think, if you're trying to trick somebody into doing something that they don't want to do, and now all of a sudden you see that they're not in their right mind and they're not thinking straight, you have to think, what a perfect opportunity for me to capitalize right now on getting them to do something that they shouldn't do, something that they wouldn't normally do. And I believe we see in this text a warning when we're angry, when things don't go well at work, when things don't go well at home, when somebody says something that we didn't want them to say, when something doesn't work the way that we wanted it to work out, that we need to be even more on guard than we are normally on guard because in those moments, sin is still crouching at the door and we are more susceptible to that. Have y'all ever tried to talk somebody into doing something before? Y'all ever done that before? Have you ever tried to talk somebody into doing something that they already wanted to do? Y'all ever done that? It's easy. Like, if any of you today tried to talk me into going to eat Mexican or uh, barbecue whenever we got out of church this morning, if you tried to talk me into that, you would not have to work very hard. Now, there are some things that you might try to talk me into going to do that I'm not, it's going to take some work. But if you tried to talk me into that, and whenever you are already angry with someone, your desire starts to be the same as the desires of sin. Now I want to do something that I shouldn't do. And that makes me more susceptible that when Satan presents me that opportunity to do that thing, I'm even more vulnerable to accepting it. Because when we're angry and when we're sad and when we're not thinking straight, we already want to do things that we shouldn't do. And so we have to be even more particular to know that God's commands, even when we're angry and even when we're sad, God's commands are still good and the temptation to sin is still evil. We have to remember that, especially in our most vulnerable times, brothers and sisters. Satan knows when you are vulnerable and he knows where you are vulnerable. And he does not play fair. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to go against the works of God. He wants you to go against the commands of God. He wants you as a Christian to profane the name of God in a, in a way that everybody can see it. And he does not care about fighting fair. He has no rules about doing that. And if he sees you're vulnerable, he's coming in. 
I believe that. I believe we see that in this text, that he knows when and how to tempt us, and he knows what you are most likely to do wrong because he's seen you doing it over and over and over. And brothers and sisters, we must be on guard against sin. And and God says that here to him in verse 7. That if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Speaking of sin, Cain, you have to resist this temptation. You have to tell sin no here. And brothers and sisters, I'd say the same thing to you. You have to resist temptations. No matter how tempting, you must resist temptations. Why? Because point two this morning is this. We are responsible for our sins. Now, sometimes we don't like this, and sometimes we want to put this off on somebody else. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Sometimes we really like to put this off on Satan, right? The devil made me do it. I was vulnerable. I I was in a bad place. I'd had a fight with my, my wife or my husband that morning. Right? I had just gotten news that this person that I loved was in the hospital or that this person that I loved had just found out that they had cancer. I'd been doing this, I'd been doing that. We can give all these excuses. This is why I did these things. This is why I made this decision. It, it wasn't me. I wasn't thinking straight. The devil made me do it. He tempted me to do it. The people that I was with, my, my family, that's the way that they do things. It's not that I'm a sinful person, just that that's what my family does. My family acts this way, and that's why I'm acting that way. My friends said this is okay, and this is what they do, and so I just went along with them. We like to put responsibility for our sins on everyone else. This is what I've seen, this is what I've heard, they said it's okay, but the truth of the scriptures is this, is that we are responsible for our sins. You are responsible to know what God's word says and to abide by it. You must rule over it, is what God says here. He says it to Cain when Cain's in a vulnerable spot. And I'll say it to you this morning. No matter where you are, no matter who you're with, no matter what they're doing, no matter what they say, you must recognize sin and you must rule over it. And in this, I see a picture of something that we don't get. Not just you, I don't fully understand this. I don't believe there's anyone that's ever lived on the face of this earth outside of Jesus that fully understands this. But in these first few chapters of Genesis, we see this, the beautiful tension between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Right, we've seen clearly, chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's pretty clear that God is sovereign over everything. Right, the things that exist exists because he spoke them into existence. There, nobody rivals him. Nobody is close to being an equal to him. Nobody tells him what to do. If it exists, it's because he has created it. God is completely sovereign, and God can do anything that he wants to do. And so here we might would ask the question, well, why doesn't God just keep Cain from sinning? If you don't know the story, if you keep reading a few verses, Cain is going to kill his brother, Abel. He's going to, they'll be in the field and they're working and doesn't give a whole lot of details, but Cain rises up and he kills Abel. And when we see that and we see this here, we say, 
we God knew that Cain was vulnerable. God knew that Cain was in a bad spot. Why didn't he just keep Abel alive? Why didn't he just keep Cain from Cain? Why didn't he just protect Abel? And I can't give you the answer to that. I can tell you this, he could have. If he wanted to, he could have. There's no thing that God would want to do or decide that he's going to do that anyone could stop him from. If God decided he was going to protect Abel from Cain, Cain could not have hurt Abel, period. But in this we see that God allowed Cain to make a decision. God allowed him to be responsible for following God's commands or breaking God's commands. And exactly how this works out, that's the part that we don't know. Exactly where God's sovereignty comes in and where man's responsibility comes in, we don't understand all these things, but we see it clearly here. That God is sovereign over everything and that he also holds man responsible for our decisions. That we can't say, God, you shouldn't have allowed this to happen. God, you shouldn't have allowed me to be put in this spot. No, what we see is that God tells us right from wrong. God gives us commands. God tells us to follow those commands. And then he allows us to make decisions. And in this instance, Cain makes the wrong decision. And Cain's held responsible for his sin. Look with me in verses 10 through 12 as we see that. It says, And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So we see the same story, the same pattern. It was Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are given the command. They make the wrong decision, and they're punished. And their punishment was great. Very harsh punishment because sin brings with it. Sin is a terrible thing. And sin brings with it very extreme consequences. They had to leave the garden, right? Now all of a sudden there's, cha- there's, there's pain in childbirth. Now all of a sudden there's, there's problem with working the ground. And now here, Cain, who's a farmer, it's a pretty big deal when you're a farmer to not be allowed to stay in one place, to be made to be a nomad, that you can't stay here where your farm is. If you can't stay here where your farm is, you can't raise a whole lot of crops. Now, y'all know I'm not a farmer like some of y'all are farmers. I've been to Brother Wayne Brown's farm a couple times, and it doesn't move day to day, does it? You plant the sweet potatoes there, and you need to be able to come back in a little while and get those sweet potatoes. That's how that works. But now here, Cain, who is a tiller and worker of the ground, is made to be a wanderer of the earth. And he's told that even the things that he does plant aren't going to yield like they used to yield. God gives Cain here very severe punishment. Why? Because sin is a very serious thing. He's cursed, and he has to leave all the things that he knows, the land that he knows, and the family that he knows, and the work that he knows. He has to leave it all behind, and God makes him a wonder, and he takes away his, his main source of sustenance on the earth. Why? Because Cain didn't rule over sin, but gave in to temptation. And many of us forget what I'm about to tell you. We forget point three, and that sin carries extreme consequences. Sometimes we forget that sin is a big deal, and we forget that the consequences are heavy and hefty, and we forget that sin tears apart 
families and that sin profanes the name of God and that sin wrecks lives. We think it's no big deal. It's just a little thing. It's just a little decision. It's not a big deal. But we're reminded here when we see the story of Cain that sin is a big deal and that sin carries with it very heavy consequences. And if you don't believe it, I'll tell you again, go down to the jail and ask some of the people there if sin carries extreme consequences. Go to divorce court. Go to custody hearings. Go to rehab and ask them, does sin carry extreme heavy consequences? And they will tell you, absolutely. Absolutely. And we are all this far from being in those same positions because sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. And Satan wants to wreck your life. Brothers and sisters, we have to be on guard. But there is good news. It's the good news of the gospel, and we catch a glimpse of it here in Genesis 4. Look in verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Here we see this, the last point for today, point four. God is merciful. Sometimes we can get upset about this sort of thing. Cain just killed Abel, right? Abel is innocent here. Abel is the keeper of the sheep. He's just the brother. He's just doing his job. And Cain, cold blood, kills him dead because he's unhappy and because he's upset. And Cain is punished. And some people get mad simply there that God didn't simply take the life of Cain, that he didn't kill Cain, that he didn't require his blood for Abel's blood. But then whenever they see that not only did God spare Cain's life and gave him very harsh punishment, but that then God is even merciful here. And God puts a mark on Cain so that no one that finds him is going to kill him. And they say, Cain doesn't deserve that. Cain doesn't deserve protection from God. He just killed an innocent man. Why is God protecting him? And in that we see the mercy of the God that we serve. Because this is what you might have missed in this story. Brothers and sisters, we're not Abel in this story. We're Cain in this story. You and I are the ones that have known what was right and known what was wrong and time after time after time chosen what was wrong. We're the ones that God has said sin is extreme and it is terrible and it is desiring you and it is close by and you need to be on guard against it. And yet we go and sin anyways. And sometimes we do the same sins over and over and over, and ashamedly, sometimes we even enjoy it. Brothers and sisters, we are not the innocent people here. We are the guilty party. We are like Cain. We knew what God expected of us, and we don't do it anyways. And so we say, why would God show mercy to Cain? But then we say, I'm so thankful that God has shown mercy to me. Absolutely, I'm thankful that God has shown mercy to me. And we just simply see in Cain a reflection of our lives, brother and sister. That God doesn't give us what we deserve. When he said, this is more than I can bear. My punishment is greater than I can bear. You and I could yell the same thing. Because the greatest consequence of sin is being separated from God. 
we have sinned and sin separates us from God and it causes us to have to live this life without God on our own. And it means that whenever we leave this life and die, that we're bound to be without God forever and ever and punishment in hell. And we could yell out loud, that sin, I mean, that punishment is greater than I can bear. And so what did God do? He shows us mercy when we don't deserve it. He sent his son to take the punishment that was too great for us on himself. He came and he was innocent. Jesus was innocent. He never did anything wrong. He was perfect in absolutely every way. And yet he went to the cross and he took the emotional pain and he took the physical pain and he took the spiritual pain of your guilt and my guilt, the punishment for our sins, so that now when we come to God and we say, God, I realize that I've done wrong and I realize that I need you, that when we do that, that he can forgive us, that he will forgive us of all of our sins, that he will take away our guilt, that he won't separate us from him, that he will reconcile us to him, and now all of a sudden we get to live this life with him, in relationship with him, having his help and having his strength. And when we leave this life, we get to go and be in his physical presence forever and ever. And you don't deserve it. You don't deserve that. You don't deserve any of that. I don't deserve any of that. I've done way too much wrong to deserve that God would show me that kind of mercy, that he would send his son for me, that he would reconcile himself to me, that he would promise me a place in eternity in heaven with him. I don't deserve any of it, but I've been given it. Why? Because our God's a merciful God. Our God is a gracious God. And in this chapter, chapter 4 of Genesis, we see a picture of the whole gospel. We see God's authority over our lives telling us what we should and what we shouldn't do. We see the picture that we are vulnerable to sin, that we are all one decision away from being in a terrible place, all of us, and some of us even more susceptible because of things that have been happening in your life. You're here this morning and you're mad at God. Are you here this morning and you're angry at somebody at work? Are you here this morning and you are sad and depressed because of developments that you did not expect to come in your life? And Satan knows that you're vulnerable. And the attack is coming. And brothers and sisters, I would just pass on to you what God gave to Cain. And I'll say, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is against you. Its desire is to wreck you. And to make you go against his command. Satan is watching. His, his demons that work with him are watching. They want to bring pain and suffering into your life. They want to bring down the name of God. And when they can get a Christian to do a terrible thing. And everybody hears about it. That's profaning the name of God. Brothers and sisters. Sin is real. And we have to be on guard against it. All of the time. But when we have sin. And we all have sinned. And when you sin this week, and we all will, I imagine, sin this week, remember this, that the punishment for that sin that was too great for you to bear, God has taken on himself so that he could forgive you of it. If you're here this morning and you've been trying to fight this battle against sin on your own, you've been waking up every day and trying to break these habits and trying to get away from these things and trying to get rid of these addictions, and, try, and you've been doing it all on your own, I hope you see today that it's not going to work that way, that sin is too strong for you to bear. The guilt and punishment of sin is too strong for you to bear. Come this morning and give that burden to Christ. 
Let him take your guilt. He's already paid the debt. Let him come and let him be responsible for your sin so that when God looks at you, he sees nothing but a clean slate. The righteousness of God in you. And let him come and give you his Holy Spirit so that tomorrow when you wake up and you're going to fight that addiction or you're going to fight uh, that temptation, you're not going to fight it on your own, but he's going to be fighting it inside of you. And this time when you say no, it'll actually happen. Brothers and sisters, if you have been trying to do it on your own, come today and quit fighting in your own strength and fight in the strength of the Almighty God that we serve. He has made a way for you to do that. I want to invite you to stand this morning. And if you're a Christian and you're here and you've been reminded today that your decisions have been profaning the name of God, I pray that you would come and repent and that you would turn from sin. And if you're here and you have been fighting on your own and you don't even have the help of God and you're guilty and you're separated from God, come this morning and ask through faith in Jesus Christ that you'd be reconciled to God and that you would have his strength. Come this morning if there's something that you need to say or do. Come and pray at these altars or pray with me or let's make it public to the church that you do what the Lord leads you to as Brother Shane leads us in an invitation.